0: Hello, and welcome to the Professional Horror Podcast, the podcast that, honestly, doesn't want to watch a movie for at least a couple weeks. I have been injecting so many movies into my eyeballs the past month that I need a break. I am your host, the wonderful and very pretty Chris Donovan, and this week it is finally time, one of my favorite episodes to do every year, but one of the most difficult episodes to make every year. I am finally ready to present to y'all my top 10 favorite horror movies of the year. Now before we dig into the list, you know I got some caveats for you. First of all, didn't watch every horror movie that came out this year. Hopefully that doesn't mean I'm about to get arrested by the end of year list police because apparently I can't legally call it a top 10 if I don't, if I didn't see them all, Uh, but I did end up seeing 62 horror movies that came out in 2023 and just so there's no, what about this movie Chris, you forgot about that movie I will run down every single movie that I got to see at some point during this episode, and this year I actually wrote down all my thoughts, I won't end up like, I like this movie because I liked it and that's why I liked it, as a perpetual non-planner, it annoys me to no end how much better this podcast has gotten, since I've actually started planning things out, like outlines notes, scheduling, it's almost like all those people who were telling me I should need to plan things out were right or something. Eh, I can't be right. Anyway, I will start by running down my picks number 10 through number 2, then run down my honorable mentions, then tell you all the ones I I saw that neither made the list nor the honorable mentions, and then we'll end with my number one film of the year. And of course, last caveat, this list is just like my opinion man, and I am aware that I have weird opinions. A lot of the movies that made a lot of people's top ten lists did not make mine. Not because, look at me, I'm not like other girls, I just saw a lot of movies differently than a lot of people, because you know, I saw it like I see movies. I'm weird and dumb, I don't know. There are a few movies that made a lot of top ten lists that I was like, it almost felt like I was watching some elaborate prank being pulled on me to get me to waste my time, and other movies I'm like, yo, why did no one talk about this movie? This one was great. If I'm being honest, there weren't a lot of movies I saw this year that, no pun intended, screamed top 10 to me. I saw a lot of Alright movies, and quite a few clunkers that I adamantly disliked, but only a few where I was like, I love that one. That's making my list. Like, I've been making these lists for like six years now, and if I were to make a list compiling all six of my top tens into like a top 60, I don't think many of these in this top ten would make it into like the top half of that top 60 list. You, You feel me? You know what I'm saying? But that doesn't mean I'm any less excited to give you my opinions on all the movies I saw in 2023, so with Without further ado, let's crack on with number 10. My number 10 film of the year was *Slaughterhouse*. Slaughterhouse has a 4.7 out of 10 on IMDb, and a 58% approval on Rotten Tomatoes. Slaughterhouse is directed by Michael Goodhue, written by Bradley Fowler and Cady Lannigan, and starring Lisa Lavener, and Sydney Craven. Slaughterhouse is about senior Emily Young wants to be elected sorority president. She adopts a cute sloth, thinking it will help her win, but a string of fatalities implicates the sloth you guys know me, if you've watched I mean, if you listen to my episodes, if you've listened to me talk for an extended period of time you guys know a few things about me I like creature features, one uh, two, I like goofy, cheesy movies and three, frankly, I like dumb movies that are just worried about having fun at the end we're not super concerned with logic sometimes, and Slaughterhouse just ticks a lot of my boxes, you know this is not a movie where you should hold your suspension of disbelief near and dear, you should be ready to have Bit shattered this is a movie where a sloth drives a sports car to a hospital attacks someone and then takes a selfie with their body this is just pure dumb fun popcorn movie i actually got to see this movie by myself in a theater and i was just cackling the entire time there's just such fun wacky action in this movie the sloth is done with a lot of mostly practical effects which i really appreciate and the movie is structured almost kind of like a, a sorority slasher type movie but with a sloth instead of a normal slasher and i just had a blast with it i I thought it was a lot of fun. Slaughterhouse is available to watch on Hulu and I would recommend checking it out. Next up, number nine. My number nine pick is a tie because, you know, I think you shouldn't cheat on important things, but on dumb things like top ten lists, I think that's just fine. So, <laughs> my two number nine picks are two slashers. One is The Conference, and the other is Totally Killer. I'll start off going over The Conference. The Conference has a 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb, and a 74% approval on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Patrick Eklund, written by Patrick Eklund, Thomas Molstad, and Matt Stromberg, and starring Katia Winter. The Conference is about public sector employees battle not only their own discord but also a bloodthirsty killer during a seemingly seemingly innocuous retreat Uh, This was a good year for slashers, and (laughs) this one was a really fun one. A Swedish slasher about a group of employees who are about to turn a farmland into a new shopping mall, having a team-building weekend retreat being slashed away. It made for a lot of laughs, but also a lot of intense sequences. Another thing you'll know if you've listened to the show enough is that I love a slasher with a gimmick, and this one, it was funny because the killer did not start with a gimmick. But then, in the process of them planning out their uh, rampage, they are presented by the opportunity of a gimmick. It seems like the killer was almost, like, compelled by the power of the gimmick and went with it, and... (laughs) It just, it makes everything hit that much deeper. And the gimmick actually was used to great effect because it's this big, giant, bulky helmet. And it actually helped because it made the survivors look smarter because they kept going for the head. But if they, because it's a giant mass, there's a lot of, you know, room inside of the mass. So it actually, you know, you'd get hit in the eye, but it actually didn't hit the actual head of the slasher. It made for a good dynamic. I think this movie strikes a really good balance of comedy and horror. It has like satirical office workplace stuff mixed with like this corporate espionage conspiracy thing mixed with gory violence you know it's you know what's not to love that's what else do you need in a movie <laughs> I thought this was a fun time, but the reason why it's not high on this list is the ending was a bit strange to me. There was a strange series of choices as opposed to as, as a strange series of choices in regards to the final girl, the slasher, and some side characters and how each of the elements of the narrative get resolved. I feel like it was done kind of strangely and not how I would have necessarily done it, but what are you going to do? It's still a lot of fun for what it is. The conference is available to watch on Netflix. The other half of my number nine pick is is Totally Killer. Totally Killer has a 6.5 out of 10 on IMDB and 87% approval on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Nachka Khan, written by David Madalón, Sasha Pearl Raver and Jen D'Angelo and starring Kiernan Shipka. Totally Killer is about 35 years after the shocking murders of three teens. An infamous killer returns to, on Halloween night to claim a fourth victim. When 17-year-old Jamie comes face-to-face with a masked maniac, she accidentally time-travels back to 1987. Forced to navigate the unfamiliar culture, Jamie teams up with her teenage mother to take down the psycho once and for all. So, I don't care what other people say. I have loved all of the, like, old comedy movie done as a horror movie trend. Uh, Happy Death Day, both of them. Freaky. One more to be mentioned later. Ooh, foreshadowing. And this Back to the Future but horror movie, I have thoroughly enjoyed each one, and I'm, I'll just keep, keep them coming. I'll take more. In fact, the only thing holding this one back for me is I felt like the Back to the Future half of the story, that element, was a touch underbaked, in my opinion. Like, how the time travel is introduced, how it shows up. If you're gonna do time travel like this, you should have started with time travel, then introduce the slasher element. But this was slasher and then, oh by the way, there's time travel. And I feel like that's not that's not the direction that you should have gone, but that's just just my opinion, man. I thought the character dynamics in this worked very well. Uh, Jamie was played superbly by Kieran Chip because she was a really fun character to follow as she both reacts to the massive differences in this time and hers, but also, you know, trying to desperately not change, I mean, while well, well, trying to change future events but in a way that doesn't completely ruin everything and like a butterfly effect that you know how time travel stuff works you know it's always i can change the past but oh i I don't want to change this because that'll be bad you know it's time travel movies it all has the same stuff but the movie does some interesting stuff in how her actions do change the future and it's handled very well like her attempting to save one person saves that one person but it puts another person on the chopping block earlier than they would have expected. I think that was a very interesting uh, way to do things. If I had one more note, and it's not just for this one movie, but I think for all current slashers, I do think we need to take a step in the design direction, past just, like, weird, funny masks. Like, I kind of, I do like the gimmick, but I do want us to, I do think as slashers we just start branching out a bit more because we're getting a lot of human slasher whodunits with a normal knife, normal weapon, and just a funny mask. Need to branch out into more directions, I feel like. But overall, I thought this one was a very fun experience that I would love to just ma- to marathon with those other comedy horrors, or even as a double feature with the final girls. I think that would be a really fun time. Just bring it on. Just give me more. Totally Killer is available to watch on Amazon Prime. Next up, number eight. My number eight film of the year was... Horror in the High Desert 2 Minerva. Horror in the High Desert 2 has a 5.3 on IMDb. Sadly, no Rotten Tomatoes score. It only even has one critical review on the entire site, but it is a 4 to 5 review by Mary Beth McAndrews from Dread Central and the Scarred for Life podcast. And if you're going to trust someone's opinion on a found footage movie, she's probably who you want to turn to. So cat, that is a good sign. Horror in the High Desert 2 is written and directed by Dutch Marriage and starring Susie Block. The film is about... in. 20- in. 2018, a string of tragedies unfolds in the high deserts of Northeastern Nevada. A woman was found dead, and another would vanish along the same stretch of remote highway. These events could be linked to the 2017 disappearance of Gary Hinge. The first Horror in the High Desert made my top 10 list of 2021, I think at like five I want to say, or four. I don't think this one disappointed in the sense of creating the same levels of tension and scares while presenting the same fake missing person's documentary style as the first one. In fact, I think this one does a great great job of expanding on last time and adding a few elements such as old videotapes and mysterious recordings by persons unknown adding to the mystery, but there is one issue for me that keeps this from being better than part one, and that it really is two movies or two missing, missing persons documentaries in one. They spend the first half of the film on the titular Minerva before spending the back half on another woman who went missing on the same, same stretch of road at a, at a similar time as Minerva. And it's not like one is inherently less interesting than the other. I think they both could have been their own installment if they wanted to go that route, but I think having them both together cheapens each of them. It leaves each of their stories a bit more bare and a bit underbaked. Minerva's especially could just end very abruptly to move on to the next one, and I would have preferred either separate installments and focusing on each one, or combining them together, whether that combining is combining the two characters into one, with bits of each story being sort of twisted on so that's following one character from beginning to end, or having the two girls be friends who went missing at similar times, causing them to feel more intertwined. Like having two characters who went one went missing, and the other one went, it's like they're, they're more connected than just the road. I wanted more tying the two together to justify having it be half and half two stories, if that makes sense. I am still super excited for part three, and this one's tease for that film got me very excited. Horror in the High Desert 2 is available to watch on Tubi, so check it out. Next up, number seven. My number seven pick, I mean, regrettably, I think, a little bit, is uh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb, and an 83% approval on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by gag Eli Roth, <laughs> written by Jeff Rendell, and starring Patrick Dempsey and Nell Verillet. Thanksgiving is about an axe-wielding maniac terrorizes residents of Plymouth, Massachusetts after a Black Friday riot ends in tragedy. Picking off victims one by one, the seemingly random revenge killings soon become part of a larger, sinister plan. So before I dig in, I do want to say, I'm not a fan of Eli Roth. Never been a big fan of his movies, never really been a big fan of him. You know, there's, you just look it up, there's a bunch of stories of him doing, doing and saying not cool things, like stories about him doing extra takes on nude scenes just to Give the guys on set something to look at. And it's just, it's not just pervy, douchey things, too. He's also said and done some, like, problematic things. And the company that produced this film, Spyglass, has also done some horrible stuff in regards to how they've handled the Scream franchise and treated the actresses involved in that. So I kind of take no pleasure in saying that this movie is actually, like, really good. Like, screw Rayleigh Roth, but Thanksgiving was just a, it's a really fun, good slasher. The gimmick, the gore, the set pieces were all very well done. The ending, I felt, was a bit of a mixed bag. I really enjoyed the use of technology but I felt the very end felt kind of ripped off from the end of The Guest. I mean, the characters, they all range from basically caricatures to sort of flat, but they do just enough to get you through to the cool kills. There's a lot of fun, wacky stuff. There's like the... The diner kill scene, which is really cool. I call it the, um, the we have Jason X at home kill. I mean, it's, sorry to say, it's a fun movie, and I love my slashers. It's currently not available to watch anywhere except on premium VOD, which is also kind of ick, but. Next up, number six. My number six movie of the year is Megan. Megan has a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb, and a a 93% approval on Rotten Tomatoes. Megan is directed by Gerald Johnstone, written by Akella Cooper, starring Allison Williams and Violet Girl. Megan is about Megan is a marvel of an artificial intelligence, a lifelike doll that's programmed to be a child's greatest companion and a parent's greatest ally. Designed by Gemma, a brilliant roboticist, Megan can listen, watch, and learn as it plays the role of a friend and teacher, playmate and protector. When Gemma becomes the unexpected caretaker of her eight-year-old niece, she decides to give the girl a Megan prototype, a decision, a decision that leads to unimaginable consequences. In a lot of ways, I feel like Megan feels like what the Child's Play remake wanted to be. Like, I actually kind of like the Child's Play remake, uh, but this is the superior version. And it comes without the baggage of a of undermining a still-thriving franchise, so win-win. Megan was just really fun. I was worried because I only first saw it like a week or two ago, and I thought it was going to be over or I wasn't going to get what people were getting because that had been a running theme in a lot of the movies I've, I've seen this year. But I really dug this one. I thought the AI technology commentary was all Spot on, particularly in the sense of when they were taking uh, when they were talking about why would you create something that did all the parent stuff for the parent? Like, what would the parent even need to do? Why why would the parent even need to be there if Megan did it all for them? Like, treating uh, parenting a kid as a job rather than something people would want to do kind of thing. There was good meta commentary as well as good meta as as well as good plot and character story. Uh, Because when they did go to the crazy parts, they do to commit to the bit. It's not like um, a movie movie like the artifice girl which is also a movie i dug by the way I'm not knocking an artifice girl but in megan we let megan cut loose with a you know machete blade of a paper slicer you know so this movie knows when to go full throttle and it does it in really fun and, and in exciting ways overall i thought this movie was one that lived up to what everyone was raving about for months and i'm excited for part two to come out megan is available to, is available to watch on amazon prime Number five. My number five film of the year is Cobweb. Cobweb has a 6 out of 10 on IMDb and a 58% approval on Rotten Tomatoes. Cobweb is directed by Samuel Bodden written by Chris Romsdevlin and starring Woody Norman. Cobweb is about. Young Peter is plagued by a mysterious constant noise from inside his bedroom wall, a tapping that his parents insist is in his imagination. As his fear intensifies, he starts to believe that his parents are hiding a terrible and dangerous secret. The darkest goosebump story there ever was. Uh, Cobweb is a strange movie. First of all, Anthony Starr and Lizzie Kaplan have menace for daze, dude. They really felt like these towering presences, which worked so well, because the film puts us in the perspective of the little boy, so feeling, so feeling like these parents are these giant trolls guarding the bridge, if you will, really felt right. The setups and paths were so well executed. There's some bizarre camera work that didn't always work, but overall I thought I enjoyed, and the end reveal of who or what was communicating to Peter from behind the wall was great. If I had a complaint, it's that the last half hour, while still good, is a bit of a departure, I feel like. I can't say why for for spoiler reasons, but some characters aren't in the ending, I think should be, and some characters that show up in the ending you are go like what? like why? also I didn't have a natural place to put this but Cleopatra Coleman as Miss Divine was great as well this movie was crying out for a streak of sunshine and she provided because it's a very very dark Halloween season film that I really dug and I would recommend uh, you guys check this out and maybe even add this to your Halloween film rotation it it fits in very well for that but if you're going to have it in your Halloween rotation you're going to need to know where where you can watch it right? well lucky for you I can tell you it's available to watch on Hulu. Next up, number four. My number four pick is Scream 6. Scream 6 has a 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb and a 76, 76% approval on Rotten Tomatoes. Scream 6 is directed by Matt Betteleni Open, and Tyler Gillett, written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick, and starring Melissa Barrera. Scream 6 is about... Four survivors of the Ghostface murders leave Woodsboro behind for a fresh start in New York City. However, they soon find themselves in a fight for their lives when a new killer embarks on a bloody rampage. Man, this should be such a celebration of an entry. This was easily my gr- my favorite movie-going experience of the year. Let me paint you a picture as for why I should be happier to discuss this movie. When this movie came out, I got the chance to meet up with my... Lovely, wonderful, amazing friends, Megan and Julia Pendergast. We all drove about an hour to find a movie theater equidistant to each other. So we're in this just random ass town watching this movie together, having a blast. The thrilling chases, the ladder sequence, the fight in Gail's apartment, the bodega scene. We had a great time. And then we went to an Irish pub and we got burgers and fries and we yammered on and on. Sam was so good in this movie. I loved that scene. I called that killer. Had a great time chatting about a movie that I would sure was gonna make my top 10 of the year because of how much it ruled and yet and yet and yet after that amazing high for the scream franchise we were hit with a devastating low this year we're now staring down the barrel of a scream 7 with no sam no tara probably no core 4 at all no chris landon directing who i mean at this point who knows if we'll get a scream 7 at all <sighs> It's all a bit upsetting but let's try to be positive this is the professional or podcast where we try to be positive whenever we can if this is where the scream franchise leaves us it left us on a great one i enjoyed the hell out of this movie i thought it was a blast a fantastic slasher and it deserves its place right here at number four scream six scream six is available to watch on paramount plus next up number three my number three film of the year is dark harvest Dark Harvest has a 5.5 out of 10 on IMDB and a 71% approval on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by David Slade, written by Michael Gillio, and starring Casey Likes. Dark Harvest is about teens confront a legendary supernatural specter that emerges from the cornfields of a small Midwestern town every fall. Uh, Dark Harvest is a strange one. I had read the book a few years ago and thought, like, this book's so much fun. It's, it's really cool, and I was like, man, they should really make a movie out of this. It is the it is such a short, all-killer no filler book that I felt it was a sup- it was a supremely good choice for an adaptation and then it was announced hey we're getting an adaptation and then well you know that 2020 thing happened the old panoramic and then delays more delays, more delays, and then a, uh, oh yeah, here's that movie we made, dump onto VOD. I must say though, in this horror weirdo's opinion, it was worth the wait. This movie looks great, has a great aesthetic, the characters are, are fun, the effects are fun, Sawtooth Jack is a really cool movie monster, and sure, the twists are a bit obvious, but I don't think that's because I read the book. I think it's, the movie treats its twists kind of obviously, it almost plays up how the conspiracy of this town is hanging on by a thread. For those who have haven't seen it is it is a small town where each year the boys in town try to earn their freedom from the small town by going out and killing the monster sawtooth jack before he enters the church and there's like i said there's some twists about it that are pretty easy to pick up on but I, i think that's part of the the panic in some of the characters is just how how have they been able to even get this far with this setup there's one scene where sawtooth jack goes into a bunker of kids who are hiding from the game that's really gnarly i do wish the movie played up a bit more how the books said you can't leave the town other than the game and like how, how that is set up and why you can't leave the town other than the game. and also gave us more of why the characters we're following so desperately want to leave the town. Like we get the reasons, but I feel like there's not enough emphasis played and put on why the characters want to leave the town as much as they do. But overall, I think it's a good adaptation of a good book that I could easily see becoming a Halloween staple for a lot of people. And I would highly recommend you check it out so you could find a new Halloween treat for your Halloween rotation. Dark Harvest is available to watch on MGM+, Plus as well as all the VOD spots. Next up, number two. My number two movie of the year is Talk To Me. Talk To Me has a 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb and a 94% approval on Rotten Tomatoes. Talk To Me was directed by Danny Fi- and Michael Filippo, written by Danny Filippo and Bill Heinzman, and starring Sophie Wilde. Talk To Me is about... When a group of friends discover how to conjure spirits with an embalmed hand, they become hooked on the new thrill and high-stakes party game until one of them goes too far and unleashes a terrifying supernatural force. Man, this movie fucked me up dude. This movie has a moment in it where just everything changes that just hits you like a brick to the face. Like it's all fun and games look at the party trick with the ghosts and the ghouls and then it just slaps you into reality Oh, there goes gravity. No, nope we're not doing that joke. I, no pun intended but this movie just completely gripped me. The effects of the ghosts that are playing the game were so well realized each one of them is like shocking when you first see them. It kinda has a bit of like a a pet cemetery or reanimator vibe going of like dealing with the dead fucked everything up for me. Maybe if I keep dealing with the dead, it'll unfuck everything for me. And, uh, yeah, it goes as predicted. I don't feel like I should say too much more without going into spoilers, but this one hits hard. It is the most, like, intense, like, scary experience I had, I think, in the movies this year, where I've had a lot of light-hearted, fun ones. This one starts that, and then, and then. And then it does not come back to being light-hearted ever again. I did slightly make light of this movie during the Professional Horror Podcast quiz show, saying it's very obviously a metaphor about drone and alcohol uh, and like teens partying but instead of drinking and doing drugs they're playing a ghost game but don't let that dissuade you from seeing this movie because I think it is a fantastic time the metaphor is definitely there but it is still a very compelling human story and very great horror movie in its own right once again I am very excited for that sequel whenever talk to me whenever also top tier sequel titling you know I got a kick out of those kind of things can't wait for that movie to come out but this one is a fantastic film that I recommend you check out how would you check it out well let me tell you It's available to watch on VOD. Ah, but now that that's 10 through 2, I'm going to run down these honorable mentions. I only... I have uh, 11 of these, I always, it's always harder to narrow the honorable mentions down than it is to narrow the top 10 list down, usually, so, you know, that's how it goes sometimes, but my honorable mentions, and these are in no particular order, I don't think, I'm not, like, it's not like the first one I mentioned is, like, absolutely the best, and the 11th one is absolutely 11th best, you know, it's, it's, once we get out of the top 10 ranking, it's a little bit more fluid, I'm not married to the order of them, but my honorable mentions are... A Haunting in Venice, I love a good murder mystery, and this has just enough spooky stuff to nudge it into horror while still giving me all that good mystery stuff that I love. Weirdly, I think I predicted all of the who's in the Who Done It, but none of the whys, so watching a mystery where I didn't figure everything out in the first 20 minutes also really helps. Next up, Hashtag Chad Deadstream, but for Instagram influencers instead of YouTubers. I, I, I kid a little bit, but that is essentially the vibe. I do prefer Deadstream, I think, a little bit. I, I do think Chad gets the X. Could have done a little bit more with the the comments and how they interact with the live stream and the streamers. But overall, I thought it was a very fun film with some really well done scares. It, instead of an Evil Dead vibe, it's more of a, a murder cult vibe, which it's not as fun as an Evil Dead vibe. But it's still, like I said, it's still it's still a very fun movie and well worth your time. It's a wonderful knife. It's a wonderful life, but make it horror. As stated in the uh, totally killer entry, I am a sucker for these. I especially really like the first hour. I do think the last half hour gets a little bit strange. Range. Goes off in a bit of a weird direction, but overall, I'm not too bothered by the direction it took. I still, you know, Catherine Isabel, Justin Long, both absolute delights. Love, you know, they they can do no wrong almost. And I thought it was just a really a fun time with the movies. Uh, next up, Suitable Flesh. Man, Heather Graham is fantastic in this movie. If you're someone like, why do they put all those unnecessary sex scenes in movies? This is not the movie for you, as there's sex scenes galore, and they're they're. Pretty pretty steamy. Heather Graham, Judah Lewis, and Barbara Crampton do a great job of carrying this film. They're often tasked with playing multiple people, and each one nails it every time. Very good, very steamy film. Uh, The Last Voyage of the Demeter, a movie based off that one chapter in Dracula. It's not much more than crazy vampire mayhem, but it's well done mayhem. And like, what else do I want the boat Dracula movie to be, you know? Give me Dracula being a weird little monster guy killing people, and I'm happy. Evil Dead Rise. I was much more lukewarm on this one than others. I thought it was good. I thought the characters were good. I thought the gore was good. I thought the opening was great. But I didn't, I don't really think there was much here that like elevated it above any of the movies I ranked above it. For me, this is probably the lowest rated of the Evil Dead franchise, which I think says more about the Evil Dead franchise and how good it is at every step than the quality of this movie. But I really don't have a whole lot to say besides like yeah, it was good. You know? The blackening. Probably the funniest movie I saw all year. This was a super fun time. Uh, my only real complaints are, like, story-based. Like, I really thought... I thought the board game trivia scene was a lot of fun, but that gets abandoned pretty early. Like, the whole game aspect gets dropped kind of early. And the killers, aside from an overly hostile... And I, I feel I feel so dumb saying problematic, you know? Like, you're telling me the racist killers and the blackening were problematic? But, um, aside from the gimmick that they have, they don't really have that much menace. Like, they're more like a year-next style killers rather than like a scream style. And I think the scream style could have worked a little bit better, but these are minor gripes. It's still a really fun movie. Play Dead. Bailey Madison and Jerry O'Connell are great in this movie. It's a very weird little thriller type movie. It kind of is kind of bonkers and doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it's still fun. Uh, Bailey Madison's character gives herself a drug cocktail to simulate death to get her brother's phone back from the morgue because he planned a robbery with someone who was just killed and he had his the brother's phone, but in, dis- in trying to get it back she discovers the mortician is a black market organ dealer very weird stuff but good performances and some good suspense can carry you through those weird bits loop track another very strange film it's a psychological thriller but has like a sense of humor to it which is not something you see every day. And then it's also a creature feature. Don't get me wrong. I love the creature feature elements and I love the thriller elements, but doing both of those is, I feel kind of weird. Maybe committing to one or the other would have been the better avenue to go. And obviously being me, I vote for the creature feature, but having both kind of works against each other. It's a solid film though. The Sacrifice Game. There were stretches in this movie where I was like, oh, this is making my top 10 list. And then there's stretches of, huh, that's a... it's a choice. Overall, I liked it a lot, but it's another one where the supernatural aspects kind of seem to come at the expense of the human story rather than working in tandem with each other very well. I think if the movie had either jumped to supernatural earlier or kept it human, either direction might have worked better, but what we have is still a good film. And also, shout out to fellow UArts alum, Jen Wexler, who directed this one. You're killing it out there. My last honorable mention is Brooklyn 4-5, a very good, like, talk-in-rooms movie. Like, most of the action is through dialogue and having the characters bounce off each other, which works well. But I do feel like there are some limitations to the one-room thriller, particularly when dealing with the supernatural, and I think this movie does an admirable job at facing those limitations, but I don't think I can put it much higher on the list. Now, with all that out of the way, let us dig into, I will, before, and my Number one pick let's run through the rest of the movies that i saw that did not make the top 10 nor did they make my honorable mentions Most of these movies, I think, are just fine. Just because they didn't make either list doesn't mean I hate them. And while I'm not married to the order of these, they're more or less in order. So the ones at the top were the could-have-been-honorable-mentions, maybe. And the further down we go are the ones that I kind of actively dislike. Also, I don't have comments for every single movie. Some of the films I do feel like I have to, you know, I'll I'll say a word, a thing or two about it before moving on. So let's let's dig in. The Boogeyman. Sick. I thought Sick was a solid slasher, but I thought the ending was a bit like, what? The Offering. The Artifice Girl. The Artifice Girl was a pretty interesting AI movie, and it's told in just three scenes, so it was really cool. But it was definitely more sci-fi than horror. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's was just dumb fun. Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. It was a fine movie, but I, I feel like none of the Pet Cemetery movies have really nailed it. Pet Cemetery is my favorite Stephen King book, and I just feel like all the movies just kind of like, okay, they all have glaring issues, but they're all kind of alright. I don't know. Maybe we just need to stop. Book Club. This movie was fun, but it was very derivative of Scream, I thought. She Came From the Woods. Elevator Game. Knock at the Cabin. The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster. When Evil Lurks. This movie made a lot of people's lists, and I don't fully get it. Like, I, I'm not saying I don't get the movie. I don't get... I'm not sure what everyone else saw that I didn't see. Like, it's good. It's a good movie, and it's very depressing, but I just didn't see, I don't think, what others saw in this movie. No one will save you. Same here. I think it's a fine movie, but I just didn't see I didn't, I wasn't as into it as everyone else seemed to be. I thought the no dialogue thing started to feel more like a gimmick than like a natural thing as the movie went on. That and the plot felt a lot more like things just kept happening rather than things progressing which to me made the movie drag a bit so I was not as hyped as a lot of people are on that one. Candyland. The price we pay. The lake. Great monster design. I just kind of wish the movie movie were designed as well. Dark Nature, The Black Demon, Perpetrator, The Puppet Man, The Pale Blue Eye. The first hour and a half of The Pale Blue Eye I thought were super good, I was super gripped by it, and then the last half hour just pissed me the fuck off dude. Don't Look Away, Cryptid, Devil Beneath, Natty Knox. 65 is another one where just things didn't progress things just kept happening just like here's a dinosaur stuff happens here's a dinosaur just like one after another sequentially just here's more dinosaur scenes influencer i thought the beginning and the end were really good, but I thought the middle part was too disconnected to make the ending feel natural. I know it ruins the surprise, but maybe you should have cut back to that one character a few times. I feel like, like, I know it ruins the surprise, but I feel like making it a surprise is not what's best for the film. VHS 85. Really disappointing, this one. I think the the framing device would have worked if it were one of the shorts instead of the framing device. Like, it kind of just ends on a joke, which is fine for one of the shorts, but as a framing device, it's like Like, man, I watched this whole thing just for a dumb joke. Like, what was the point? You know, I feel it's just deflating when it's like that. Also, two of the shorts were connected, yet neither felt complete like they both just ended and i really think there should have been a third part to wrap up or explain any of that story it was just like both were interesting and then they just ended they didn't conc- like they didn't conclude they just stopped before the story was finished it just felt very insanely disjointed and empty the the techno god short felt like i was back at art school the other two though god of death and dreamkill they were pretty good they were alright but i just think it was just bogged down by the mess of the others Monsternado. nato that remake of Last Shift Last Shift, in my opinion, didn't do enough it was kind of just, it was a little boring Malum did way too much like it was super over the top in a way that did not land very well for me so, you know, maybe next time it'll be just right Bad Girl Boogie Phantom Fun World, that's a wrap Outpost The Exorcist Believer. I, I really don't want to sit through two more of these. Like, it's just so dumb and hollow. It's another David Gordon Green horror movie that just, it has interesting ideas with terrible execution that end up saying... Nothing. And Ellen Burton's character might as well not be there. She has so little to do, and her connection to this film feels so forced. It's a film that seems inconvenienced by the franchise it's choosing to lazily be a part of. The third Saturday in October, parts one, and the third Saturday in October, part five. These are two movies that came out together as, like, a gimmick, and I so I'm gonna lump them together. Because these movies, they're weird. Like, I get the gimmick of one is emblematic of the beginning of the slasher boom, and one is supposed to be emblematic of the end of the slasher boom. Like, if you showed someone Halloween 1 and Halloween 6 back-to-back. The problem is, is that it's not really that at all. The first one is a pretty basic, standard 70s slasher. Fairly well realized, if a little boring. Like, it's it's a thing where, like, a lot of people try to intentionally make bad movies. Like, Velocipaster is an attempt to make a on-purpose bad movie that I think works. But sometimes when you set out to intentionally make a bad movie, all you're left with is a bad movie. But then part five is just another basic slasher. It's a slasher with less going on than part one. It's not, like, I feel like it's just the same as part one, but more boring. And if you wanted it to be a joke about slasher franchises, I think part one should be what it is, a normal slasher. And part five should have been some ridiculous movie where the slasher, you know, I don't know, is powered by the blood moon to kill all Alabama fans to appease the monsters of the Tennessee woods or something. Instead, it's just the same as part one with less under the surface. Instead of seeing a fun insight into the slasher boom, I feel like I just watched two listless slashers. Like the classic slasher franchises didn't fade because they kept doing the same things over and over again. I feel like that's a common misconception. The franchises faded because they jumped the shark. Michael became a part of the cult of Thorn. Jason was evil because of a body hopping worm thing. Whatever Jason goes to hell, that disaster was. Freddy became a cartoon character who killed every kid in town, and he needed to send the last kid out for recruits in Freddy's dead. These are movies that just bear that were so far removed from what worked at the beginning that they seem like they weren't even connected. None of that insanity was present in The Third Saturday in October Part 5. It was just Part 1 but the 90s, which I feel like is a fundamental misunderstanding of what they were going for. I mean, from what it seems like they were going for, if if they were just trying to make two slashers, then they just made kind of two boring slashers, in my opinion. The Outwaters. I hated this movie. I have said before, I don't like movies that are no plot, all vibes. Like, I'm here for the plot. I want a story. And this movie just goes off the rails with little to no attempt to ever make it back to those rails. The last half hour, I was just watching the clock hoping the end would come soon. The movie ending? Me ending? Take your pick. I just wanted the end to come. So frustrating to watch. On that topic, Skinamarink. this movie felt like I was being pranked. I have no idea how this is the number one movie of the year on so many people's lists. How it's so loved by so many horror people, people I, 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 whose opinions I respect. People who, you know, I go to for their horror opinions because I, I like them as people, as reviewers, I trust their opinion. I don't understand this movie, how people could enjoy it. I felt my life ticking away watching this. There were a couple of bits where I was like, oh shit, that was good or that was kind of scary, but they're just buried in mountains of glacially paced POV shots or endless shots of a TV playing public domain cartoons. It's as slow as molasses in an egg. Like, I'm thrilled. You know, you guys know me. Whenever I don't like movies, I'm thrilled... Other people enjoyed this. I'm thrilled it found this um, group of people that love this movie as much as they do, but I've never related to you guys less in this moment. 20 minutes in, I was like, when is this going to end? Please someone make this end. Ugh. And my last movie besides my number one movie of the year, Bo is Afraid. I just, I have no time for Ari Aster, man. I don't like his movies. I don't like his storytelling philosophies, his commitment to passive protagonists who are powerless to affect the plot, his insanely loaded runtimes, all of it runs contrary to what I want to see in a story. This is just three hours of just a past protagonist plodding through life at the behest of what other people, he is almost supernaturally incapable of driving his own story forward. And it just makes it so boring. Apparently his next film is supposed to be like a western noir, which means, God willing, not a horror movie, I won't have to see it to make a list. And with all that negativity purged from my system, I can get excited again because my number one movie of the year, it's time, my number Number 1. Horror Movie of the Year is Godzilla Minus 1. Godzilla Minus 1 is an 8.4 out of 10 on IMDb and a 98% approval on Rotten Tomatoes. Godzilla Minus 1 is written and directed by Takashi Yamazaki and starring Ryunosuke Kamiki. Godzilla Minus 1 is about Japan is already devastated by the war when a new crisis emerges in the form of a giant monster. Good fucking hell. What a movie. If when I said the name of my number one pick, you were like, Chris, that really isn't a horror movie. Guess what? You're wrong. (laughs) It is, and it is a fucking great one. Absolutely spectacular movie. It's a Godzilla story where the character stories are captivating, where you don't have a single thought of when's Godzilla showing up, where you deeply care for those tiny specks running from Godzilla. And when Godzilla shows up, it is a spectacle. The boat chase, him smashing buildings, with his tail, that goddamn atomic breath scene, holy shit. I felt like I needed a cigarette after the atomic breath scene. And the ending was gripping, emotional, thrilling. No spoilers, but there's a part where all the sound washes out, and then it comes back in with the classic Godzilla theme where I was pumping my fist in the theater. I was so excited. It's everything a blockbuster movie should be. A character journey, an effect spectacle, and a well-articulated political message as well. It is a monster movie with heart and brains to spare. What a film. Godzilla Minus One might still be in theaters at the time of the release. Uh, I've heard that it will eventually, possibly, maybe go to Amazon Prime, but not for a while, so if it's still in theaters, God damn it, go see it now. It's so good. So that concludes my top 10 horror movies of the year list. Is there a movie you think I should have seen? Do you think I'm way off on one, some, or all of these? Let me know. You can find me to yell at me on Twitter at the underscore Don underscore 17 or on Instagram at, prof- at professional horror. Or you can email me at professional horror at gmail.com to yell at me or, you know, offer movie suggestions or guest suggestions for someone you want to see on the show. It would also be real swell if you could rate, review, whatever else uh, the professional horror podcast at wherever you get your podcast from. Whether it be Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts it'd be nice if you were nice to this show on those platforms please i'd appreciate it oh man what a year what a year in horror what a year in general (laughs) i am excited i need i need a little bit of a recharge but i'm excited to crack on for 2024 i got a couple episodes in the pipeline and i got some new exciting ideas I'm, I'm, i'm hoping to bring your way in this fresh new year i hope you enjoy them but until that time until next time stay scary but keep it professional